MC Podcast. And so that doesn't mean you have to plant another church, 
Although I know that that's a vision that, that has been cast, I just say, wow, praise God. I love that, that vision. But I want to just frame this through this concept of, of pioneers and settlers. And so uh, ultimately, our motive matters. <laughs> and that's critical for us to come back to. The motive of our multiplication matters. And it has to be because we want to propel the gospel. And occasionally, in a culture of comparison, we can look around and think, I should, I should be doing different things. Really, success in the bullseye uh, of, of following Jesus is obedience. And so whatever he's asked you to do, that's what you've got to do. But he does say, go and make disciples. And we can all agree that that's the, the motive, that's the why behind the what of what we're doing. So here's just a, because we believe the Bible is the living word of God, here's why. Here's the, here's the heart of it. The, Jesus says, come follow me. And then he invites others to do the same thing, right? He invites us to join him on his mission. He, he says, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so he says, hey, ask the Lord of the harvest. It's not that the opportunities are out there. It's that maybe we haven't necessarily um, recognized or equipped or positioned ourselves and others to do this next thing, to go and make disciples. And that's, this is the overarching idea. And then Jesus said something that I believe him. But when he said this, hey, listen, um, you're going to do greater things. How many are like, than you? Because he, he had a pretty good run. Uh, you know, the one guy in the world who didn't even need to build a team included a whole bunch of people that were unschooled, ordinary people. And that they took note that they'd been with Jesus. And those, those folks turned the world upside down. So I'm like, that's a pretty high bar. And I think sometimes we can think, wow, yeah, I'm not this and I'm not that. And we call that a new hope. Um, I'm only disease. And sometimes we can have I'm only disease and think, well, I'm only. But really with God, we're, we're his hands, his feet, as we just got, got to communicate through time of worship. George Bernard Shaw says this, and it's probably been attributed to other people, but I believe he was the originator, originator of the statement. It's not in the slides. So here, here's what he says. Uh, there are those who look at things the way they are and ask why. And he says, I dream of things. And I think about communities and churches and neighborhoods and families. I dream about things that never were and ask why not. What an opportunity we have as the, the hands and feet of Jesus to bring the hope of Christ to this world. How many of you remember the Polaroid camera? <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to say, if I have one with me, and I, I, I forgot my actual camera, it's actually hard to find one now. There's newer ones that are like uh, knockoff you know, of the other ones. So if I took a picture of Michael, um, what I'd have to do is I would have to wait for it to what? Develop. And I would just propose in every one of our stories, in every one of our communities, and in our churches, and in our own lives, we're not done developing. But what happens is, you, some of us are old enough to remember, you take the picture and then you'd shake it. Do you know that actually nothing happened when you shook it? There was a chemical reaction inside that was occurring. You're not creating the chemical reaction, but we just have this, I have to hurry up. How many of you like, you blew on it? I believe, when, when did that, you're blowing on plastic? <laughs> you're not speeding anything up. And sometimes development needs the time required to actually occur. 
And so the question is not, does God have great plans for us? It's, are we positioning ourselves for that to develop? Are we doing now what enables us to then do later what he wants us to do next? So there's, I want to talk about pioneer, pioneering and settling. And I believe that the, uh, every one of us in here are beneficial beneficiaries of people who pioneer. How many of y'all, raise your hand, how many of you go to a church? Raise your hand. Okay. Occasionally we'll have people say, well, we're just not really for church planting. Like, guess how your church got here? I ask this question sometimes at church planting conference. How many of you uh, go to a church that was planted? Every one of us. Right? So someone had to step out. Someone had to be sent out. Someone had to pioneer. And, and we, we learn to trust God in pioneering in a way that you can't otherwise. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 has never been more true for us than in, in the last five years of stepping out in faith. And, and, and we, we, we worked for 12 years at the headquarters for the Assemblies of God for the Northwest. So There's 350 churches, 1,250 ministers. And so we served a leadership team for, those, for that group. And we, that's the job that I quit to move to a neighborhood where we literally knew nobody. But why? The bullseye. And because someone had pioneered, we then said, Lord, what would it look like for us to walk in obedience? There's some benefits that come from it. We, we get to see some things that, that others may not get to, get to see. And it's not a comparison thing as much as there's some benefits to pioneering. Now, pioneering also breaks the curse of comfort. And I think comfort can be a curse at times. I don't mean like if someone put a curse on you, but you understand the concept of, I, I just kind of settled in. And pioneering says, I'm breaking free from that. Alan Hirsch, in his book, The Forgotten Ways, uh, presents this concept called communitas. And communitas is this shared struggle around a mission or a project that's greater than you. Every team has a chance to experience communitas. But as Christ followers and as Christians, communitas is, is I can't believe we get to do this. And you look back and go, I can't believe God did that. I'll give you an example. We, we just recently at our South Hill campus, our hub campus, uh, which is a training center, a gathering of resources that we want to equip and then deploy people out to multiply, right? Well, in the early days, when I say that, five years is clearly still early days. But in the earlier days, we didn't have offices. And so when I asked my neighbor to meet me for coffee, I said, hey, can you meet me at my office? He's like, well, yeah, where's that? I said, it's the Starbucks right next to the theater that our church meets at. Here's what some of our team did because they were bivocational. Every one of us to start bivocational. Now our five campus leads are all full-time. Um, but that's just part of the progression, right? It's not done developing, but we're still developing. But we would meet, and all of us would be coming from work, or the next day we'd be going to work. We're not fancy full-time, come on. But we're also realizing in the early days in pioneering, there's some, some, you have to be creative. So we had one guy that worked for 911 driving school. And I'll be honest, if you ever rode with Jeremy, you would want to call 911, okay? He should not be teaching people to drive, but that's where he got a job. Another guy worked at Phelps Tires. He's selling tires. And he had to make something like um, 900 contacts a month to outside uh, organizations or individuals. That was his quota. That's like, that's crazy. Well, he quit that job and started selling cabinets. That's Josh. Another one of our guys, our kids lead, 
uh, Chris, we told him, don't tell people what you do. Because what he did was he worked for a, a, a funeral home and he would go pick up dead bodies. Like, you don't want your kids lead. Hey, kids, we want to talk about Jesus today. And, by the way, I was two hours ago at someone's house, and that, you know, like, don't even tell people what you do, right? Now, this is the human toss, though. You're fighting for, you're willing to do hard things. Why? Because the mission's worth it. Now, we believe this, that God calls us to pioneer. This is the, therefore, and make, go and make disciples of all nations. There is something God's doing that's deep within us, but then he does something through us. What happens? The comfort that we embrace and even maybe yearn for gets broken in our lives. Now, Jesus' words are what we lean into. Isn't that right? This is what we point people towards. And this is where our, our hope lies. God calls Everyone's a pioneer, but he doesn't call everyone to pioneer in the same way or even in the same season. I believe he also simultaneously calls people to, to be settlers. And I want to make it super clear that being a settler is not the same thing as settling. And I realize that there's a, a the, the origin of the word, there's, there's symmetry to it. There's a, they're birthed from the, the same word, but they don't necessarily mean the same thing. Let's just ask, why would someone choose to be a settler? And not all these are bad. Some of these are really good. Comfort. It doesn't mean we should never be comfortable. There's, God doesn't invite us to have a martyr syndrome. He just invites us to be obedient. And sometimes in the process, people are martyred. But some reasons people might choose to be settlers is comfort, safety, and security. And who doesn't want that for their kids? Who doesn't want that, want that if, you're, if you're married for your spouse, for your marriage? But maybe we're tired. We just feel like, man, I just, I'm a, I, I, I've got to settle in because I'm just tired in the season that I'm in. Maybe there's a fear of change or the unknown. And there's, there's part of the unknown that, that can create angst and uncertainty and even serious anxiety in all of us. Maybe we remember the pain of pioneering before and we're not sure we can do it again. I think sometimes we might choose to be a settler because we're afraid that our kids, our families, and our spouse might not be able to handle it. But can I tell you what we've learned in our journey? That Justice and Josiah's faith is actually strengthened, is actually anchored and fortified because they have seen God do things that only God can do that. Isn't it true we all want a miracle? All right, Lord, you saw it. Only my hand was up. Okay, two of us. Just kidding. But none of us want the, 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 the environment that requires a miracle. A miracle doesn't come out of, things are great. Oh, man. Oh, we're just so blessed. No, miracles result when you're like, ah, help me, God. We don't know what to do. There's need. There's opportunity. There's, there's hurting the lost people. You've probably heard the story of Matthew Immings. He was an incredible, incredible shot. In fact, he was so good that he became an Olympian. In the 04 Olympic Games, he had already won one gold medal. And he, as after nine shots in, in a commanding lead, his average score out of 10 is 9.3. 
And all he has to do is not even hit the bullseye. He needs to hit one of the two outer rings to, to secure a second gold medal. He takes a deep breath in between heartbeats. Some of y'all know this. He pulls the trigger. And he's waiting for the telltale sign of uh, uh, the, the dig of a bullseye that he's so used to hearing. And so is the rest of the people in the, the venue. But they don't hear it. They hear a different sound. And it's a, it's a foul sound. It's a penalty. Because when he began to, to sight in on, on the target, he shot in the wrong lane. And he hit a bullseye, but he hit the wrong bullseye. I think if we're not careful, we can be aiming at the wrong target and hit it. And the question is, what is Jesus asking us to do with what we have in this season for his glory? Why does it matter what we do with kids and youth? Because 70% of people who are saying yes to Jesus are 14 or under right now. So it's going to probably be someone else's job to, to reach the kids. Well, I think that's all of our job to create environments and to help propel ministries and create settings where students, rather than having to rescue them when they're old, we capture their heart when they're young. And that's, that's how Jesus operated I think if we're not careful, we can succeed at the wrong thing. And succeeding at the wrong thing is actually failure. What are some of the, the positives of, of a settlement? Because it's not all negative in the slightest. First of all, it's a place of healing and recovery. You can sleep in peace knowing the gate's going to get closed. You don't have to worry about getting attacked because the door gets locked and there's people watching over you. It's a gathering place where resources are collected for greater impact. And this is the why behind the what of being a part of a fellowship, a movement, ministries like the ones that you're part of. Now, not everyone's wired to be a pioneer, but a settlement ends up supporting pioneers. You know, New Hope couldn't and wouldn't exist if there weren't settlers. People who saw, believed, propelled, invested, coached, and trained, that came out of the settlement. We need people who put down roots and establish infrastructure and frameworks so that others can launch off of it. And to just a, a metaphor of what might be a lily pads on a pond. A frog can swim across, but they're not as safe as they would be if they're jumping from lily pad to lily pad. And the goal is to get to the other side. What happens... When you get shot at, though, sometimes you get hit. And there are some, pe some perils. There's some perils to being a, a settler, and there's some perils to being a pioneer. Here's some of the perils to, to being a pioneer. You get shot at, and you get wounded. And sometimes ministry can be a lonely place, and sometimes it can be a painful place. And we don't have to all raise our hand because, you know, this is, we said yes to this, we signed up for it, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. You can have success and start to believe you made it happen. This is one of the tensions of pioneering. You get shot and you don't get, you don't die, and you start to think you're invincible. And some of the dependence you used to have on gods can begin to wane. You can slowly separate from the rest of the group thinking, People don't really understand what I'm doing, so I'm not going to talk to them about it. And you disassociate from the tribe or the settlement that actually propelled you out. I wrote this down in my notes. 
Pioneering produces new patterns in your life that can make it hard for you to empathize with people who you think don't do hard things. Sellers can bother you in ways you never imagined because their seeming lack of commitment or faith to the cause can tick you off and make you make it easy for you to view them through a negative lens. But I just bring us back to God calls us to pioneer and not settling, but to be settlers. A pioneer can develop a spirit of arrogance thinking, man, I'm the man or the woman of faith and if you just did a little bit more of what I did, you'd be better. If we're not guarded, what happens is our hearts become hardened and we develop a self-reliance rather than a God-reliance. President Thomas Jefferson wrote to Meriwether Lewis in 1804. He says, I want you to discover the shortest route from the Mississippi to the Pacific Ocean. For 300 years, nations had been searching for the best route to transport goods. Not a new concept. And this was when the core of, of discovery was launched. Their expedition was going to go to uncharted territories, to go to places others had never been. For 15 months, they traversed the Missouri River looking for the headwaters. And finally, because of the assistance of a Shoshone tribe member, discovered the head of the, the headwaters. And this is what they expected. They expected to get to the top as uh, rafting explorers to the top of this um, river. And then they would literally go over a crest in the river the same way it, it traversed down. It would then surely traverse down in the Pacific Ocean. Maybe it would take them a day and a half to carry their rafts across the river. And they would start the, the, their drift to the Pacific Ocean. What they didn't understand wasn't because of arrogance, but they didn't know what they didn't know. And when they crested what's called Lemhi Pass, here's what one of the Corps of Engineer or the Corps of Discovery journalists wrote. They saw the Rocky Mountains as far as the eyes could see. And they described them as this, the most terrible mountains I'd ever beheld. They had planned on rowing, and that's what they were good at. But they didn't realize that the hardest part of the journey was in front of them, not behind them. Everything they had accomplished to this point was a prelude to what was in front of them. And they would literally have to reframe their mission to accomplish their mission. They were river, raft, and canoers. And they would have to become rope climbers. Canoeing to climbing is a big shift. In fact, they didn't have the necessary tools to continue on, and so they spent one of the winters with people who knew what they were about to do because they'd already done it. This is where we're introduced to a young Shoshone nursing mother named Sacagawea. And without her guidance, the seemingly uh, president-appointed experts would have to listen to this nursing mother for what they would do next. I 
I think sometimes when we, when we envision and endeavor to, to continue to be in step with the Spirit and have the mind of Christ, it's going to be, as we heard a moment ago, some unlearning as well as some new learning. I think it's important that we understand this, that the experts became apprentices. And there's something about connecting ourselves with people who have both gone where we're going and or will help us to, to strategize, to pray, and to plan for the next chapter. God dreams always lead to the redemption of people, which makes them worth finishing and fighting for. But one person said, and I, I would quote them if I knew who it was, on the other side of your yes is more yeses and more hard work. <laughs> we say this, that we exist for people who aren't here yet. And part of presenting hope and developing people is, how does my neighbor experience Jesus because of what we're doing? I'm going to tell you some stories in the next couple sessions. We have seven families from our neighborhood that go to our church. We've had nine at one point. Two of them moved. That sounds awesome until you drive into your neighborhood on a Sunday and none of them went to church. That was supposed to be funny. You're like, I'm going to turn right in my neighborhood because I know I'll pass four houses of people that I was hoping I was going to see earlier today, but they're not there. And then we forget. It's for people who aren't here yet. There's a, a prayer that I, I came across that I had um, one of our team members who's more creative and skilled than me uh, create a, a poster essentially from a wall. And just to the right of my desk is a quote by Sir Francis Drake. He says that disturb us, you may have heard this prayer before, and I'm grateful that prayers don't have to come from perfect people. Because if you study Sir Francis Drake, you realize he was far from perfect. And yet, I think the heart of his prayer really stirs my heart. He says, disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little. When we arrive safely because we've sailed too closely to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when the, with, with the abundance of things we possess, we've lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we've ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we've allowed our vision of a new heaven to grow dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly. To venture on wider seas where storms will show your majesty. Where losing sight of the land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to pu push back the horizon of our hopes and to push us into the future in strength and courage and hope and love. And this we ask in the name of our captain, who is Jesus Christ. Amen. Disturb us, Lord. Pioneers and settlers, not pioneers or settlers, is one of the invitations that God might be extending to us in this season. It comes out of some of the vision and, and the heart of the leadership. And as I open with, I'll close this and we can take some time to maybe even have some Q&A as we've allotted some time for that in this session. 
where God's taking us, maybe we've never been before. But he's already there. God's faster than I am. God's not limited by time. And this is so encouraging. It's so faith-building. He's ahead of where we're going. He's lingered from where we were before. And he's present with us right now. And I'm reminded of Jesus. Is like, what do you plan to say for your last words? The families around you. I kidly said, kind of like to go out in a fire and crash. Although, when you think about that, you don't want your whole family there. But my wife's like, well, I'd like to be with you. I'm like, we can arrange that, right? Again, kidding. <laughs> but when you think about your, your last words, you've heard the famous last words, right? When you think about of all the things Jesus taught it. One of the Gospels says, if, you know, if all of his words were written, a room couldn't contain it. Uh, uh, there's so much depth, wisdom inside. But it's interesting. He says, okay, therefore, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he, he saves what I think is some of the best for last. But he says this, and surely I will be with you always. And I, I hope that today, even as we're thinking about it, and we're inviting the Holy Spirit to uh, once more ask us just to say, okay, what, what's happening now that we can step into intentionally so we can move into what's next? But I hope that this promise that Jesus says, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age, rings in our ears. That it would resound in our spirit, and it would also be um, the comfort we need to actually step out and to try new things. But it also might mean that we don't step out, but we actually lean into being a settler. Podcast.